Hello, my name is Ernie Vecchio, author, trauma psychologist, and mentor, inviting you to join me on the Heart as Compass podcast. As is always the case, the path forward is inward. I will see you on the inside. Given what's going on in our world today, all the division within our country and dealing with all the adversity caused by the pandemic, um, this statement from your website, I think, is profound and totally applies and would be so helpful for people right now. Um, What you wrote is, while the external world can become unraveled, our inner life is guided and deliberate. Adversity becomes a university of learning from experience. When we become students of our signature expression, so we gain daily wisdom that otherwise would be out of view. And what stands out to me is while the external world can become unraveled, our inner life is guided and deliberate. To me, that's what keeps me going (laughs) right now. I mean, I didn't write those words. Those are your words, but it's because of all the um, internal work I've done and how I keep my focus on my inner life, realizing that's what I really have ultimate control over, no matter what is going on in the external world. You know, I'm of the belief that I don't know how much we discover when we discover anything in this work as much as as, as us just remembering. So one of the notes I made to myself, mental notes that I made to myself, is is that um, part of the the reason that we remember an egoless place is because we come from an egoless place. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So in other words, we're not discovering an egoless place. We actually remember it. Mm -hmm. And and so my definition of, uh, of true spirituality are people that have that memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I wrote a note to myself that spiritual people have a pre-thought memory of this place and spend their lives longing to return to it in life and in death, mm-hmm. where religious people define their spirituality as a place where the ego lives. Mm-hmm. So theirs is an ego that's in need of forgiveness by the other during life and death. Mm-hmm. And they imagine that they get to keep their forgiven egos in death. Part of what I've been doing in my work all along is has been trying to make existential sense of my life, mm-hmm. and it just moved from from existential sense of my life to existential sense of life itself. You know, mm-hmm. it just kind of grew as time went on. There's so many big things that came through this morning when I thought about the inspiration to keep doing what I'm doing. But I just feel like we're so off course. We are in a transitional place. And to use your metaphor, the glasses have come off, Mm -hmm. and you can't put them back on, and there it is. And it isn't necessarily depressing. It just is. It's it's where we are. The core of our spiritual immaturity in the West is that we never get any older than teenagers psychologically Mm -hmm. and any older than Jesus internally. Mm -hmm. And we have to move to the other side of the world and find Buddha to learn what Jesus can never know which is the benefit of old age. And that's the whole premise of this work. The whole implication of the new consciousness movement and the new enlightenment stuff, is it not that we can get here early? That it shouldn't have to take us 69 years to have 69 years worth of wisdom? Right. You know, that we somehow could get here sooner if we just wake up? But nobody's putting it that way. That would be the ultimate, and I believe that your work points in that direction, that it's possible. I think what they're offering, Irma, instead of getting here early, 
is money. In other words, since you can't get ahead of the spiritual maturity curve, you can at least make money if you can take your suffering and monetize it. Mm. And that seems to be the substitution that we've made. Mm. And so when I said that, that we never get any older than a teenager internally and any more mature than the age of Jesus, which is 33, and that we have to find Buddha and go to the other side of the world to find this concept of egoless or an egoless life, and then look at the age of Buddha, we're not designed in the Western world to get ahead of ourselves spiritually. My motivation to to stay in this work and to figure this out was that this came crashing through in people's internal lives when they were amputated or paralyzed. All of that just kind of fell away, and there was this incredible amount of intelligence coming from them or through them, and nobody knew what to do with it. When I was thinking about the concept of signature expression and the heart, they are the dominant forces, and this is the irony. They're the dominant forces in the human experience, our soul and heart. Mm-hmm. And I mean that electromagnetically, they are dominant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they lose to thought impression and emotionalism. In other words, they lose to the ego and and our emotions. And we have the solution of, of mass, like I said, about the human ego versus the heart. This is because egos become amplified while hearts tend to pacify. And passion raises amplification of both. Ego-based is lack and heart-based is longing. So when you asked me the other day in our conversation, does the friction ever stop? I don't think the friction between lacking and longing ever stops as long as we're breathing. Mm-hmm. And the only way that it would stop would be that the heart and the head are aligned, and there's no interference that would ever knock it out of alignment, internal or external. Mm-hmm. You probably could get there internally, but if you function in the outside world, you're going to get knocked off balance. What makes the heart passive? Is, is it because the ego is um, so aggressive? I didn't say passive. I said pacifies. It gives in. Oh, pacifies. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's pacifying the push and pull of life where the ego is is uh, resisting the push and pull of life. Mm, okay. yeah, so it gives in, which is why you can move the heart a lot easier than you can move the ego. The ego only moves the heart around because it digs in, and the heart will just say, okay, well, whatever, and we'll give in for a minute. You know, and each time it gives in an inch, it moves an inch. And so you do that repetitively, then it moves, you're just literally dragging the heart around. We live in a culture that literally supports and endorses the idea that they get to keep their ego even in death. Yeah. What in the world would they give it up for in life? Mm-hmm. I mean, look how powerful that is. If I get to keep my ego in death, why in the world should I give it up, let alone change it, in life? And therein is the problem. Spirituality is the pursuit of an egoless existence in a world that is dominated by ego, right? And you have to practice and meditate and withdraw and isolate and all the different things you have to do. I have a personal question around that because, I mean, it's kind of, um, for the longest time, I was really confused in life, like, why do I seem to be on a different page? And then when I figured out why that was, it the life was still difficult because, and here's my personal question around what you just said, if you are 
um, heart-based and your heart is kind of leading and feeling-based, which I have been my entire life, but you're living um, in a society that is ego-based, how in the heck, like you just said, there, I mean, in order to do that, there has to be withdrawing and isolating and meditation and inner work and inner strength and, and all of those things. But I'm just curious, based on your your book and your work, what would you tell someone if they came to you and said, Listen, I feel like I'm heart-based and I'm I'm trying to live my life from that space and um my feelings are kind of what guide me as well, but I feel like I'm living in a world that I don't fit in. What would you tell someone? These two worlds that you're describing, mm-hmm. whether it's inside and outside of you or whether it's all just taking place within you. Mm-hmm. The only thing you can do is strike a balance, which is build the bridge between those two worlds. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the difference between emotions and feelings. If I'm feeling-based, I'm present tense-based, I'm reaction to the present-based, and I'm coming from a compassionate place. If I'm emotionally-based, ego-based, then I'm coming from a belief system that may be, you know, false, and then I'm reenacting my wounds from the past or from my history. So at some point, you have to build a bridge between those two worlds. And that bridge gets easier and easier to move back and forth across if you heal the emotional side of the equation. In other words, it's the pain and the confusion and the distortion of the emotional egoic world that we have to sort out so we can just take a sigh of relief that we have the other world that we know is there, which is the egoless world. I don't know if that's a, if that makes sense, but that's a... It does. It does, and I forget that bridge sometimes. <laughs> Once you discover that you are spiritual because you always have been, and you had to make a consolation to exist in the world and put that on a back burner at some level, once you realize that that's what you did, you know, you want to get it back. You can be conscious of it or be unconscious of it. I think a lot of people are, are unaware that that's where their suffering is coming from. The word we use in the culture is authenticity. Mm-hmm. That if I come in authentic and I feel that authenticity at any level, then I have to sacrifice it to get busy surviving my life. That authenticity may go out of my awareness, but it's still there generating whatever angst it generates. Mm-hmm. Every time I fake a single thing. Right. So it's there. We just, you know, people have different words for it. I think what was causing my angst is I didn't want to lose it. But what I hear you saying is what was causing my suffering was the emotional charge that I had because I was in resistance to something rather than realizing I didn't mm-hmm. need the bridge. Yeah. If you allow it, it will reset itself. In other words, the interruption, and I told from a book, is that. How, how to set the hardest compass despite his interference. Well, the whole logic is is that uh, we all deal with interference internal and out and outside of us. And so, but it's constantly if you get out of your own way, attempting to self-correct this internal dilemma that you have. It's attempting to make sense of it. It needs your assistance because you can't see its own reflections. That's where the counseling and mirroring, reflecting off of others comes in. The needle turns in art. Compass heart Do you ever 
get the feeling it's pointing to the start of something so much bigger, so much better than us.